This is Alumni Allowed, a podcast by Graduate Center students for Graduate Center students. In each episode, we talk with a GC graduate about their career path, the ins and outs of their current position, and the career advice they have for students. This series is sponsored by the Graduate Center's Office of Career Planning and Professional spoke with Dr. Lauren Rehis, who earned her PhD in French from the Graduate Center. She is currently the National Sales Director at Skernick Wine and Spirit. In this episode, Lauren tells us about the many backgrounds represented in the wine industry, finishing her dissertation while also starting a career, and the importance of conferences for professional development. We'll just start with who you are, what position you currently have, and kind of trace PhD to now. So my name is Lauren Reches, and I am the National Sales Director for Skernick Wines and Spirits, based in Manhattan. I first started in the wine industry uh, about 10 years ago. I was finishing up my classwork in the PhD in French at CUNY Graduate Center, and I was also working in restaurants on the side because, you know, as, as lovely as it is to teach a few classes, we all know that we need a couple bucks on the side as well. So when I was working in restaurants, I, I met a gentleman who owned his own import company and we got to talking actually about my dissertation because his company was French based. And he is also uh, quite an intellectual person. And as we were talking at the restaurant, he said, you should come work for me. At the time, I thought it was crazy because I thought my career path is always going to be academia. That's what I'm destined for. And actually, I ran into him a year or two later. And at that point, my life had changed a little bit. I was um, about to do my orals. And I said, hey, I'd like to reconsider that job. I think it would be very interesting. So I, I started working for this French import company. They also did some Italian ones as well, but mainly French-based. It was nice to be able to use my French in a different type of setting as well. I was able to speak to producers when they came to visit us in the United States, to, um, to be able to take them around, explain how the market works a little bit. And, and though most of them spoke English very well, it actually, it was kind of helpful to develop a close relationship with them by kind of breaking down that barrier. So at that point, I went to work for my current company about two years later. I loved the job I had, but realized that I kind of had started at like level, you know, 10 of a position when I was really, I'd never done anything in this industry before. And I wanted to find a place where I could start at the bottom and work my way back up. So, you know, I think that all as academics were the type of people who were like, no, 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 I need to learn the, all the things that go into this first. Like, I can't just start at 10, pretend like I belong here. I need to, you know, I need to start at the basics. I need to learn the background. So that's when I started working for Skernick Wines and Spirits. And I honestly started off with order entry, you know, answering the phone, putting in orders for New York, Connecticut, New Jersey restaurants and retail wine shops and kind of started uh, working hard and working my way up. And this is at the same time that I was writing my dissertation on the side. So I was very determined, even, even though when I started at Skernick Wines, I felt like 
this is where I want to be, that I loved, I had always loved wine, food and wine. In fact, my dissertation topic was on food and wine in France in the early 20th century. So it was always kind of tied into my loves together. So I, I loved doing it, but I also wanted to continue in this industry and do a little bit, uh, a little bit more with it and see where I could go and, and explore more of the French wine side of it. So at the same time, I realized how important it was for me that I put so much work in it. I already spent six, seven years uh, doing my doctorate and, and I really enjoyed it and I enjoyed my topic and I'm not the type of person to quit. <laughs> I just, it was really important to me if you put so much work into something and you know, I had I'd written maybe a chapter of my dissertation when I, was, I decided I was staying in this industry more completely, but I really wanted to stick with it and finish it. So after you know, staying late at work and trying to finish things, it took me a long time to figure out how to work it into my schedule for work because I had a nine to five job. At one point I got enough promotions so that I was doing national sales. So I was starting to travel. I was starting to go to France, to Germany, to Austria and around the US selling wine and talking about wine and educating people about wine as well, which was great, but it leaves very, little time to really schedule yourself regularly to finish a dissertation. So it was a challenge, but after a lot of trying to figure things out and adjusting my schedule, I kind of figured out that if I stop the clock at five and I stay for an extra two hours to do research and write, I can finish it. And I managed to do that. So I was very, very happy for myself. And I think that it was nice that my company that I worked for, I think was very proud of me too, because to be able to see someone work really hard and, and to be able to put in the time to their job, but then also to succeed in such an accomplishment in their eyes as well, because none of them came from that background. It was pretty interesting. Very, very tough, but well worth it. Yes. I think a lot of students who are thinking about that and are ABD or not have the same dilemma. Yes, definitely. I think in a way, maybe when you're taking classes, it's easier to work out in your mind like, oh, I can't do these things together. <laughs> maybe. I'm not sure. But when you're writing, it's so easy also just put things off and say, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. But at the same time, it's really, it's easy enough to be able to find, a, if you can just find a small chunk in your day, wherever that works out, then you can get it done, which is nice. And it's okay. It's not ideal, but it's okay if it takes you five years to write it. It took me it's a long time, but you know, it was done. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, a lot of students who are at the end are trying to finish while adjuncting and stuff too, where you kind of had a more stable job than semester by semester adjuncts while you were finishing. So I imagine in some ways that at least financial stress of if I'm going to get reappointed next semester you at least did not have that. That is very true. The good thing is, though I was working a lot, I had a very, very steady income. I, and I think that also maybe an advantage is, is if you're in a nine, like nine to five job, your days structured pretty similarly. You know, you have your five days a week, you're working pretty much and you're putting in a nine to five hour day. So you can mentally carve out that time during the day a little bit easier than if you're perhaps adjuncting yeah, the, the schedule's a bit more stable, as well as the salary. So when you started the PhD, academia was the goal at that point? 
Absolutely. I wanted to be a professor so badly. I loved, loved teaching. I thought it was a lot of fun, but I think it was really my love for French and food and wine and the fact that in the wine industry that I'm in, there is almost an education aspect in it because you're learning some pretty academic related things. I mean, you're learning about geology, you're learning about geography, you're learning about climate patterns in order to describe wine. Like, you know, you have a dictionary of thousands of different grapes that you're trying to learn the tiny minute differences. There are a ton of academics in this industry, in fact. It's, it really draws people in because it's, a, it's pretty geeky. <laughs> it's, yeah. You study a whole bunch of things and, and you're learning history. And so it's, it's very appealing in that way. And I think that I realized that it allowed me an outlet for all of my passions to really come together. So what does a, a day look like for you? Are there different things depending on the season, I imagine, or particular kind of weekly things that repeat themselves? How do your tasks break down like that? Well, it's a really interesting discussion to have these days versus maybe a typical year because my current job now is national sales director. And as national sales director, I oversee a team of about six or seven people, most of which are spread out throughout the United States. In the wine industry, there's what we call a tiered system. So I work, uh, my job is to work on the import side. So I help get the wine to the U.S. And then I sell to different distributors that are around the U.S. And those distributors in each state will sell wine and spirits to retail shops, liquor stores, to restaurants, restaurant groups. So as you can imagine, a lot of my job is helping to oversee this team who is often on the road and traveling, making sure that they have the information they need, organizing when wine is going to be coming to the U.S. and what the new vintage is going to be and going to be like, and making sure the correct information is in the hands of my team so that they can properly sell the wine. Even trying to work on pricing structures so that we can, you know, incentivize people. There's a lot that goes on during a typical year I would say a lot of my job too is also traveling around the U.S. to help educate <laughs> people in different states and to present the wines to, to them, maybe host events and things like that, and also to travel to Europe. Our, my side of our company is heavily based in French wine, especially Grower Champagne, and also German and Austrian wine. So a lot of my job is taking trips regularly to visit our winemakers our producers and to make sure that that we are developing a relationship that they I understand what their needs are and what their goals are for sales in the US market and that they understand what sort of things are happening in the US and that I can help them to understand any challenges we're experiencing or things that we might need but also to walk through vineyards with them and to get to know what's happening that current year and what happened the year before and how it's affecting the taste of the wine so that I can help translate that to everyone in the United States, whether it's on the consumer level, whether it's a restaurant, whether it's um, someone buying the wine, selling the wine. That's a huge part of our job. And, and right now that's completely, <laughs> completely gone. So the day-to-day -day has really changed. It's been a challenge, but I think it's in a way been very good for us to not be able to travel anymore because it's allowed us to to think differently about how to approach 
sales and how to approach education in this current climate because we can't just get on a plane and sit in front of someone or host a seminar you know the education aspect is really similar to academia like we're used to having this in-person seminar interaction in order to learn and ask questions and all of us are i think learning now just how much we can accomplish remotely and maybe that's a good thing i mean i think of a conference that i took part in in belgium for example and man i loved going to belgium even if it was just for two or three days and being able to see it and to present and meet people in person but it's expensive and a lot of the times when we're working on our dissertations and teaching we just don't have that type of money to buy a plane ticket to present and maybe you know this is teaching us all that we can we can work a little differently and that we could have a conference hosted by a university in Europe or anywhere and people can participate without having to perhaps spend the money on hotels and travel. Yeah, for sure. So how are you interacting with the wine makers in Europe? Are, are they taking you on like virtual tours of the vineyards now? Yeah, so on our level of the travel we used to do, we're doing a lot more virtual uh, meetings and talks. Unfortunately, we can't be tasting wine out of barrel that just finished fermenting and that, that kind of exciting thing. That's been the hardest part about this industry is how important tasting is because wine changes so much year to year. And a winemaker may choose to do a different thing with a barrel or a different thing with a vineyard than they typically do or change how, what percentage of Chardonnay is going to be in a blend. And that changes the taste of the wine. The hardest part that we've experienced in this industry is trying to figure out the tasting aspects of it. But the virtual aspect has been nice. It's been nice to be able to realize that we can get on the phone with someone and have them turn on their camera and walk through a vineyard and say, hey, this is that vineyard I've always been talking about, and I don't have to travel there. I don't know. It's, it, in my mind, it's kind of interesting that we haven't even thought about doing things like that before. <laughs> like if we're not in person, we're not seeing it. Right. So, and I think it's also been really good for education on like a smaller level because before we would have to, for example, we have a lot of restaurants or wine shops that want to do a seminar for consumers, for their customers. And to be able to have a winemaker there is so invaluable to them. But the amount of coordination it takes, because maybe a winemaker can travel once or twice a year, but being a farmer, which is what they are, is extremely demanding work and they've got to be there all the time. And so maybe they'll travel once a year, but now it's much easier for them to be able to do something in the evening at, virtually with those customers. So that's been, I think, a, a really great innovation that I hope carries on because at least they can do a virtual seminar with someone's customers directly. And it's a, it's a really great way for them to connect with those consumers that they wouldn't normally do and to, and to connect with that person who's been such a supporter of their wines. Um, that's been really great, I think. Yeah, for sure. So you had mentioned you had gotten this first job at the French importers through just interacting with this person, how did you then get in in at Skernik and what was that more formal application process, if you will? Right when I figured out that I wanted to do something in the same industry, but take a, a little bit of a step back, I started just looking at job postings, you know, winejobs.com and things like that, just to see what was out there. And 
I did one interview with someone who said, I really like you, but I don't think this is the job for you. However, I know someone else who's looking for someone just like you. And so he was the one who introduced me to Skernick and put my resume in front of them and said, they're, you know, they're hiring. I think you'd be great. And so I went through a more formal interview process with them. I think I had to do an interview with the sales manager and then a separate interview with the two owners of the company and go through that process. And then, as I said, I started after maybe a two month interview process at the bottom entering orders. That was the agreement as they said, you know, we really like you, but we want you to be able to start in the beginning too and to learn everything from the ground up. So you have a better background and kind of get adjusted into everything a little bit more and learn more about the wines. And, and so I did. Was it difficult to try to compile application documents that weren't academic, you know, like CV to a resume? And how did you navigate that kind of switch? I think I was very lucky, as I've said, in this industry and for the company that I interviewed for, because the company that I work for, they pride themselves in hiring people that they see potential in and that have interesting goals and interests that may not directly be related to experience actually in the industry quite yet. I'll never forget the redoing my resume and looking at it and going, what do I keep on here? Do I keep on here that I was an adjunct? Do they even care that I taught French Brooklyn College or Baruch? But what I've learned is when people see that you're working towards a PhD, they know that you want to work hard. You're willing to put in the work. And so it translates itself in, in a different way. I was lucky to have also met the importer for of French wines that I had before, who had given me an opportunity to get my foot in as well and get a little bit of experience. I, I've done a lot of interviews personally now in my job, and it doesn't even matter what their background experience is. It's for me and it's like the dedication to something is so important because it shows that you're going to dedicate yourself to whatever company you're going to work for. You're not going to be the type of person that takes one job and then moves to something else in six months and then gets bored and does something else in a year. It says so much to be able to, to see that type of consistency and dedication in something. Yeah, absolutely. You've kind of touched on this a little bit, but what skills did you use or refine in the PhD that have helped you even outside of academia? I really think I can't emphasize enough the participation in conferences and how important that's been outside of academia, because I think it's the learning how to speak without necessarily holding a cue card or to be able to answer questions. You know, all the experience in working towards preparing something to present in a conference and then presenting in person has been extremely, extremely helpful because I feel like I have in my industry and in so many others, you're in situations a lot where you have to present yourself or present a project and it can be incredibly nerve-wracking if you're not normally in front of people and to be able to have that have that experience has been I think extremely helpful and also the fact that when you're doing it in academia you're used to being just drilled with these questions <laughs> that are <laughs> like being able to think on your feet like that for business I mean even for sales is 
is so good. And, and even I think learning how to say that is a really interesting point and question that I haven't been able to think of before. And I think that it would be very interesting to continue to do research in that area. <laughs> that type of skill I think is, is so important. And you mentioned you work in a fairly small team. What are the backgrounds of the people you work with and beyond in the, the larger company? You mentioned a bit that there are a number of academics that are in there. So what is the, the mix and how does that impact the culture of the company? I think it's a good question and it's really interesting because like I said, this is a really diverse industry. I think that a lot of industries like business and marketing, a lot of people, they're MBA graduates or they studied marketing and, and then they go into the marketing field. And for the wine and spirits industry, like I said, it's so diverse and people come from a little bit of everywhere. There are a lot of people who study theater and, you know, no surprise because there's a performance aspect in education and sales and things like that. I've worked with and continue to work with some people who have backgrounds in opera singing. A lot of people with arts backgrounds or even chemistry, people come from all different levels of backgrounds, educations. It's very interesting, especially since if you talk to somebody from Europe, for example, in Europe, if you're in the wine industry, you always were in a college program that had wine and wine marketing or wine sales. But here we just don't have that. We don't have programs like that. It's interesting to compare where people would come from in a European background to get into this versus in the United States. You mentioned you're doing a lot of interviews now. What would you recommend to, to students who are potentially thinking about industry and how to format their application documents and how to prepare for interviews and what did you wish someone had told you before then or that someone did tell you that was really good advice? I think that going back to the idea of understanding the strengths of where you came from and believing in those strengths, as almost corny as it sounds to say, believe in yourself. I think that a lot of us in academia spend a lot of time coming down on ourselves. We could do more that we're not doing enough or that you have the I shouldn't be here syndrome. And I think mentally that kind of can translate to when you're interviewing for a job outside of the industry. But I think the most important thing is to remember how valuable your background and dedication and the skills that you're learning are even to apply to something outside of academia. Like everything we've discussed, like learning how to present yourself, how to speak, how to even research. Like a lot of people don't understand how to do proper research and it's very difficult for them to write to write properly or to put together a concise document of findings or thoughts. And that's something that we have worked very hard in in graduate school. And that is an incredible skill that is valuable to almost any industry that you could possibly think of. So I think it's, it's to make sure that you understanding what your strengths are and, and having confidence in those strengths when you go into an interview or when you're trying to put together your resume so that, so that you can approach that new job realizing that you do belong there and that you can add something and something that maybe most people who are interviewing for that job can't. What was the biggest switch that you found yourself having to make 
between academic lifestyle and industry lifestyle? Good question. I think that honestly, one of the hardest things to get used to was the lack of flexibility. You know, when you start graduate school, it's almost hard to get used to the flexibility you have and the downtime and when to apply yourself, as we kind of discussed before. And to go to a nine to five job where you are told you have two weeks of paid vacation. You go, two weeks? That's it? That's all I have off in this entire year? It seems crazy, and, but it's easy to get used to. You may be working a different type of day and be less flexible on the day to day or the hour to hour than you're used to being. But in the end, I think the regularity is also kind of nice because you're able to turn it off sometimes. Whereas in yeah. graduate school, you really, you really can't turn it off. It's always there and you're always thinking about it. And should I be, it's a Sunday afternoon and you're thinking, should I be writing? Should I be researching? I shouldn't be enjoying myself right now. My husband always joked with me when I finished my dissertation that I had to learn how to relax again. Yes. Because I honestly had no idea how to just sit down and read a novel that I wanted to read and be okay with that. I can imagine that it's a whole kind of paradigm shift you have to make in your brain to adjust to that. So we're almost wrapped up. Is there anything else that you think is relevant or any other advice that you'd like to share? What you think the outlook for this field is moving forward? I definitely think that if there are academics, especially those who have those chemistry and artistic backgrounds and language backgrounds, this part of the industry, the wine spirits industry, is a really interesting and fun place to be, especially if you have a passion for wine or if you worked in restaurants for a while and have a background in it. It's a really interesting industry to explore, and it's a fun place to work. There's definitely niche categories to it, which is why I think academics love it so much. It's like, wow, I'm always learning something. And as soon as I think I've learned everything, then something changes. New vintage, a, a winemaker retires and passes something on to his son who does something completely different. And all of a sudden, China's making wine. It's always changing and you're always having to study. That's a wrap for this episode of Alumni Allowed. I want to thank Lauren for sharing her experience working in the wine industry. Remember to stay tuned for more episodes of Alumni Aloud, published every two weeks during the fall and spring semesters. Subscribe on iTunes and you'll automatically be notified of new episodes. Also, check out our Facebook, Twitter, and career planning website at cuny.is careerplan for more updates from our office or to make appointments with our career counselors. Thanks for listening and see you next time.